You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. Well, it's not just talking about death. It's talking about life. In fact, it's talking about faith and it's talking about the way we live our life based on the faith we have. Let me reiterate what I said a moment ago. Faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. If everything about our faith made sense, there would take no faith to have our faith. We just accept that which makes sense. Accept the logical, accept the natural. But the fact of the matter is that we will never fully understand the things of our faith. There's not a Sunday that goes by that I don't stand truly amazed in the presence of the Nazarene. Amazed at His love and amazed at His plan. Amazed at His call upon our life and the blessings of, of the ministry. But I wonder... If you're to the point this morning that you can say, you know what, it's okay that I don't understand it all, I still believe it all, I accept it all, and by faith I receive it all. One last verse, let me remind you what that verse says. And Lord, haste, quicken the day, bring about the day, when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. You know what it's like when you're in a a cloudy situation. I don't mind flying too much, but I don't like flying when it's cloudy. Because when it's cloudy, it's bumpy and it's rough and it's unpredictable and you can't see the end of your nose hardly because it's cloudy. But when those clouds are rolled back, all of a sudden things make sense. Lord, hasten the day that these things make sense to me. The trumpet shall resound and the Lord shall descend and even so it is well with my soul. One verse, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, verse number 12. The Bible says, for now we see through a glass. Stop there for a moment. Maybe you grew up and you were around the older folks and they didn't call a mirror a mirror. They called a mirror a looking glass. Anybody ever heard that? Well, something you need to know about Corinth, Paul's writing here to the Christians at Corinth, and something interesting about Corinth, one of their many industries, it was a very industrious city, is that they made looking glasses. They made mirrors. But not the kind of mirrors of glass and reflective that we think of today where you can see every spot and blemish, Right? But they made mirrors or looking glasses out of an alloy of bronze and of brass. Now, if you've ever looked into brass or bronze, maybe you've looked into, you know, the end of a big musical instrument, you know, and you've seen that reflection. You can see a bit of a reflection, but it's not real clear. After studying this, I thought about going and getting me one of those kind of looking glasses. So when I look at it, I'd say, hey, dynamite, you know, I look good because it's not real clear. So when Paul's writing to Corinth... They understand what he's talking about. It's like looking into one of those looking glasses and you can see an image, but you can't see all the details. And he says, that's kind of like it is now with us. I understand some things about my faith and and I, I get, but there's a lot of things that are just mysterious to me. Continue looking. But one of these days, face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known to him. He's saying, one day I'm going to know the Lord like He knows me. 
I'm going to understand me like He knows me. I'm going to understand faith and life and all of these mysteries are going to be unveiled and uncovered like the clouds being rolled back. I was flying not too long ago and it was very cloudy and, and uh, was kind of kind of nervous and scared and uh, the, the pilot began descending. He kind of buckled down a little bit tighter and you could see nothing. You couldn't see the ground and we were literally just less than 100 yards off of the runway when all of a sudden we got below that cloud covering and boom, we were on the ground. And I want to tell you, I was thankful when that cloud covering was no more. I tell you, I'm grateful for our faith. I'm grateful that we have victory. I'm grateful the songs that we sing and all of these things. But I'm looking forward to a day when there is no more mystery about our faith, when there is no more wondering. But literally, we are in the presence of the King of Kings and and all of the, the things of heaven are ours. Let's uncover a little of the mystery this morning, just in a few moments that we have. What are the basic mysteries of life, if you will? Everybody that's born... At some point, we'll come to the point that they want some answers to some questions, right? Question number one, where did I come from? Where did I come from? By the way, if any of you, maybe your young people are wanting to know, Tom, you'll be here after the service. Explain that. But where did I come from? Number two, what am I doing here? What on earth am I doing here? Is there a purpose to this whole you know, mess? Is there, is there some kind of explanation to the chaos that this old world is in? Is there, is there more that meets the eye? And number three, where am I going when I die? You've heard those things. All of these are mysterious. None of these things have absolute proof that you can say, here it is. They require a measure of faith. Every person on this planet is choosing whether to live by faith or not by faith. Will I only accept that which I see and believe? That only which is proven to me? May I say to you, there's nothing about our origin that is proven. In fact, there's no doctor in medical science that can exactly explain procreation other than, well, it just happens. Praise God. When we think about living our life day to day, many people think I'm just a little grain of sand that took breath one day. One day breath will leave my body and in between I'm nothing but a grain of sand. No faith, nothing more. And thirdly, where am I going when I die? Well, I believe they're just going to put me in a hole or, or burn me up or whatever. And I'm, that's it. That's it. But the fact of the matter is we have hope and we have faith and we trust in something that's more than what we can see. This morning, let's look at three areas that I believe are worthy of our celebration. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I'm grateful to know that He is our way, that He is the truth, that He is the light. And for that we celebrate. But let me give you three things very, very quickly this morning. Number one, the celebration of divine creation. I was reading yesterday that suicide rate is at an all-time high amongst teenagers. It has an epidemic rate. It's growing and and even this morning, counseling some folks that are going through things with their children, their grandchildren, they say they just seem like they have no hope. And I wonder sometimes, is the reason many of our young people have no hope because they've been taught from a very young age that they're nothing but an accident. There's no reason why they're here. There's no purpose in them being here. They tell them that once upon a time there was a bang or there was some kind of accident and millions of years passed and here we are. So if you don't believe that there's an origin, a creator, there's really not much purpose to life. Now the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 in verse number 1, in the beginning, God. And then He created. And He created everything that needed to be created, nothing more, nothing less. And at the end of the day, by the way, right after He got done creating the woman, interesting, He said, it's good. 
It's good. As if he was saying, I'm proud of my handiwork. What I've done is good. It's complete. It's finished. I'm grateful to know that he has an origin. I'm grateful to know that, that, that everything that, 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 that comes to be, that there's something that we can trace it back to. And it was a divine creation, a divine plan, if you will. Amen? Y'all look really, really sad this morning. Cheer up. God created you. He created you uniquely. Think about this. If, if evolution was true, would we not all have evolved to the same point? Would we have not evolved beyond where we are now? I don't know. There's times I get in situations and I could use a third arm. Why not? Hey, let's evolve. Let's grow a third arm. You know, I've evolved to the point that I can stand up and walk around and I can run. Well, why not evolve that I can run so fast as a car that I wouldn't need a car and never grow tired? You know, there's, there's some kind of misunderstanding there when you have this idea. By the way, let me give you a couple of things that I think debunked evolution. And there are many more things that time would allow. Imagine how arrogant it is to think that for millions and millions and millions of years, mankind just kind of stayed the same. And in the last hundred years, look at how we've advanced. How is it that the generation that we belong to in the, in the past few have been so advanced that they brought us so far with technology and, and all of the industry and all of the things that we're able to do and all of this somehow happened in a hundred years while million of years, none of this happened. It makes no sense. I'm grateful to know that we have a divine creator. There is a, an eternal God. The Bible says He is the Alpha and the Omega. That is literally He is the beginning and He is the end. He is eternal past. He is eternal future. But not only is He an, an eternal God, He is a supernal God. Look with me in Psalm 139. Psalm 139 in verse number 14, the Bible says this, I will praise thee. Why? For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth them right well. I celebrate the fact that He is an eternal God, but I also celebrate the fact that He is a supernal God. In other words, marvelous are His works. When I look around and I see all that God has done and all that God is doing, I can truly praise Him. I can truly say He is marvelous in that which He's done. Have you ever toured a, a famous building or a structure? I remember the first time we went to New York, I couldn't wait to go see the Statue of Liberty. And I don't know how big I thought she was. But I thought she would be bigger than the Empire State Building and five times as wide. And I went there and she's fairly small in, in, you know, compared to the buildings. And I remember going back and thinking, you know, wow, it's not that big. And somebody said, how would you have liked to have made her? You know? Got a good point. Can you imagine the first little piece of bronze or whatever? You know, and, oh man, that would have been quite a creation. And then you look to your right and you see the buildings and look to your left and you see the bridges. And, and, and when you get to that point, and many of you were there last week at this time, and you're, you're walking around in that city that's only been around, you know, 150, 200 years, you know, total. And you look and you say, wow, isn't this amazing all that hands have created? Friend, may I say to you, when you look at all of humanity, you look at the splendor and the wonder of nature, can you not also agree, wow, look at all the things that his hands have Created. I think there's reason to celebrate. When we think about that, and, and this verse says in, 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 in the song, It Is Well, and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, literally we're saying, I don't understand the, the origins, and I don't understand all about creation. I know what the Bible says, and it's so, so massive for my little brain to, to, to even be able to recognize. But one day I'll get it. One day I'll understand it. But for now, I'm just going to celebrate the fact that I know I have a divine creator. Amen? Number two, we celebrate the divine creation, but I also believe we celebrate the divine intervention. What does that mean? A pantheist is a person who says, I believe in God. 
But I believe that God spoke everything into existence as if he was spinning a top or a wheel. And he said, there you go. You're on your own. And he just walked away. There are many people that look back and say, well, I've got to have some kind of explanation. Obviously, we came from somewhere. Obviously, nature, you know, had to have a birth. So, yes, I believe in God, but I don't believe in a personal relationship or a personal encounter with God. Why? Because the clouds have not been rolled back. People want proof positive. People want all of their answers and to all of their questions. And, and, and the fact of the matter is that we'll never be able to give them all of the answers. Sometimes when people come and they want to talk and they begin asking me, why does my child have this disease or why have I had this issue or why am I going? I cannot answer that. I do know this, that nothing we go through we have to go through alone. Why? Because of the divine intervention. He didn't just create us, but he intervenes in the affairs of mankind. Two specific areas that we find in Scripture that he chose to intervene. The first is in our deliverance. Think about this. You and I were in a helpless state. that We could not access God. So God chose because of his love and his mercy and his grace to access us. He stepped into our realm. He stepped into our world, a world of sin, a world of a fallen mankind, a world of separation, and he delivered us. We realized that we could not go to where he was because he is holy and we are sinners. So he said, that's okay. And literally, he became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God. When we think about that, the, part, the, book, the it's 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might be justified, so that we might be delivered. So when we think about all the reasons to celebrate, think about that. He intervened on our, on our behalf. He got involved in our case. He didn't have to. He gave us an option. And we blew it. And when sin entered in and judgment entered in, we were eternally separated, but he had a plan called grace. And we think about that cloud being rolled back. I think that's going to be why the rejoicing in heaven. Because I think for this point, we cannot fully understand the amazing gift that God has given us. But I think in glory, we will get it. We will see all that His, his hand prepared, not only here on planet Earth, but in all eternity. And we will realize He did this because He loved us. He delivered us that place that we could be. We do not have to be. Are you delivered this morning? I love the song that's out now that simply says, I am redeemed. I am redeemed. I can never say I am good because I'd never be good enough. I can never say I am just because I can never be just enough. I can never say I've done enough, I've given enough, I've served enough, I've made up, I've, I've done penance, I've whatever. I must say I am redeemed. One stepped into my place that did not have to. He did not deserve to, but he chose to because of his love. He stepped into that place and intervened on my behalf. But not only because of his deliverance, but he also intervenes through his direction. Now I want you to hear this. Don't miss this. Trying to, to find and follow the will of God is not easy. I listened to Charles Stanley last night. and He was preaching on that and did a great job. And, uh, but let me tell you. Trying to figure out where God is at work and then getting involved is the, is the basic premise of the Henry Blackaby experience in God's study. But how do we do that? It's one verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. Now the next verse says, in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your steps. But it begins with trust. God, I'm going to trust you. Now think about that veil. Think about that cloud. We can't see tomorrow. Does anybody know what tomorrow holds? 
In just a few minutes, we're going to get in our little car and we're going to head to the mountains and visit and be back this evening, Lord willing. But we don't know that's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to be before us. We don't know tomorrow. We don't know the next moment. So, so these clouds that are over us, if we're not careful, we think, well, you know, I don't know that we can, you know, what do we do? Do we just kind of flip a coin and take a step to the right or the left? No. Number one, you look for where God is at work. And then you trust Him. You trust Him. Friend, I want to tell you, I believe we're going through a season in the life of our church that we need to learn trust more than ever before. I'm an answer person. I want all the answers. God says, do this. And I said, well, God, you've got to explain it to me first. Uh, Sometimes I wonder if that's because he knows that, if I know that there are going to be people who want me to explain it, right? The fact of the matter is, sometimes we don't know all the answers. I remember when we brought our first child home from the hospital. We didn't have a clue how to raise a child. Now, Tiffany had read the the books, Bringing Up Boys and... You know, parenting for dummies, she gave me that one. All those kind of things. But the fact of the matter is every child is different and every day is different and you don't know, but you take it one day at a time. So think about this. When it comes to following the plan of the Lord, He's not necessarily going to pave it all out for us. He told the children of Israel, go and possess the land. He didn't say on day one you're going to do this, on day two you're going to do that, on day three. He simply said, go and possess the land. And they panicked. And they went in and they had a committee that formed and they did a study and they came back and said, Lord, we don't think we can do this. We've counted the cost and we've looked at the consequences and there's too many hoops to jump through and all these things. And God said, but I told you I could and I told you I would and I told you you'd be able to just go. But they wanted all the answers. Following God's direction looks like this. You take one step when He leads you and you stay right there. And when He leads you to take that next step, you take that step. He always leads one step at a time. When he was leading the children of Israel to defeat Jericho, he said, here's what you need to do. And he began to lay it out. Step one, do this, and they did. Step two, do this, and they did. Step three, do this. And after about step number seven, he said, now watch out and watch what I've got to do. And those walls came tumbling down. Every one of our lives are met with walls and challenges. Times in our life we say, Lord, I don't know how we're going to face this. Listen, I don't know how we're going to step into this unknown. I don't know how we're going to deal with this unexpected tragedy or this you know, sickness that's come or, 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 or our kids are getting ready to go off to college. How are we going to pay for it? I mean, all these kind of things. There's so many questions. And certainly we need to think ahead and think forward and plan ahead. But at the end of the day, we live life one day at a time and we trust God. God, we need answers, but we're going to trust you to give them one answer at a time. I love the old hymn that's says this, I thought about singing it. In fact, this morning in the shower, I sang it. It sounded really good, and I almost got the guts to sing it at the lake this morning. I chose not to. He leadeth me. The hymn hymn writer wrote wrote these words. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis Christ's hand that leadeth me. And when my task on earth is done, when by thy grace the victory is won, even death's cold wave I will not flee, since thou in triumph leadeth me. He leadeth me, he leadeth me. By his own hand he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by his hand he leadeth me. Aren't you grateful that he is extending his hand and sometimes it is a gentle hand and a still small voice that is leading you beside the still waters. Other times it is that hand that is rescuing you in the literally in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. I remember as a kid my, my favorite program was Dukes a Hazard? Anybody with me? Man, that was cool stuff. I mean, to tell you, you won't unlike a Friday night, you know, Dukes a Hazard, and then all the, all the folks would get together and watch Dallas. I was a Dukes a Hazard guy. And you know, I've been a lot of places and traveled a lot, but I have yet to encounter quicksand. 
But them poor Duke boys, Bo and Luke, they were forever getting in the midst of quicksand, right? I finally beginning to relate to some of y'all this morning. Y'all finally turned the, turned the channel and got, and, and got me. Here you go. All right. And, and, but you know, I mean, they'd get in it and they'd be, they'd be slipping in it and they'd be fighting and doing everything they could and they couldn't get out of that quicksand. Their only hope was that somebody would come along and plant their feet on solid ground and reach down and grab them tight and grab them firmly and pull them out of that quicksand. Can I tell you, God not only leads through, the, through those still waters and he, and he leads through the valley of the shadow of death, sometimes we find ourselves in quicksand and we can't get out. We can't get on top. And the harder we fight, the deeper we sink. And that I'm thankful to know that he is you know, working in the affairs of mankind to the point that he says, here is my hand. Just take it. Just take it. We celebrate his divine intervention. Thirdly, and I'm done. We celebrate not only the fact that we have a divine creator and divine intervener, but we celebrate the fact that there's going to be a divine rescue. There is going to be a divine rescue. I love the picture. Here's what's taking place. Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose from the grave. Forty days, the Bible says Jesus revealed himself after many infallible proofs. And then on the fortieth day, they were gathered on a hillside. And instantly, Jesus began ascending into glory. He began making his trip to heaven. And the Bible said the angels began to hover. And they began to announce to those that were looking on these words. Ye men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? For this same Jesus who is being taken up will so come in like manner as you have seen him go. Literally, Jesus says, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and then come again and receive you unto myself. Well, there are only two ways from this planet, and that is death or by the call of God. So well, there were a few people in the Old Testament that didn't, get, didn't have to die. No, the call of God. And they walked with God and were no more. And there's a chance that there may be some people in this room who will not have to die. In fact, most of us believe that we're part of those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. Whenever we read the text that says the dead in Christ will rise first and those of us who are alive and remain, we always say those of us <laughs> because we believe we're going to be the generation that's going to get to escape death. It would be fine with me. It would be fine with me. But we look back at this miraculous ascension. When Jesus makes a promise, He always keeps a promise. And as He ascended to heaven, His spokespeople, the angels said, He's going to come back. In like manners, you have seen him go. What does that mean? It means he's coming back personally. Not an angel, not a band of angels, not ten thousands of angels, but personally he's coming back. And he's coming back powerfully. But he's also coming back personally. The Bible says that he will call and the graves will empty. And it's interesting to note that he will not cry out, all you dead people come forth. He will cry out name by name by name by name, just like he did Lazarus. Just like he did the maiden. Arise, come forth. Every time I have the privilege of doing a funeral and going to the interment at the graveyard, I usually make a statement something like this. Today, we make a deposit into this ground and one day the King of Kings and Lord of Lords will make a withdrawal from this same grave. That's a pretty big responsibility. We have to put them somewhere until Jesus gives them that bodily resurrection. You say, now wait a minute. 
Well, you told us when, when my loved one died that they're in the presence of the Lord. Their soul, their spirit, their person is there. But there's going to come a bodily resurrection. The trumpet's going to sound. The Bible says this, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. You've, you've heard this at many funerals, but this is what Paul had to say to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse number 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. There is nothing more mysterious than death. Right? Here it is. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That is, some will die, some will not. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we all shall change. And the Bible says the corruptible puts on incorruption, the mortal puts on immortality. And when that happened, it is brought to pass the saying, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is part of that cloud being lifted. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to worry about that. I remember as a little boy, the first few times I experienced death in my own family. And I remember going home and being scared of the fact that one day I would die. I remember talking to my mom about that and she would say, you don't have to worry about that. That's not going to happen for a long time. Anybody ever told your children that? You mean well. Here it is, y'all. You don't have to worry about it, period. Whether, whether you're 100 years from it or 100 days from it or somewhere in between, the fact of the matter is that we have reason to celebrate because one way or another, we're victorious whether we do have to die and we are buried in the ground, our body, our soul and our spirit are in the presence of the Lord instantly. I'm grateful to know this morning, Miss Kitty, our friend at 645, drew his last breath on this side and his first breath on the other side, absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's worth celebrating. No matter what comes my way, I'm thankful that I can celebrate knowing that I've got one who hadn't forgotten me. He hadn't abandoned me. In fact, one day he's coming back for me. What a thought. What a thought. What's it going to be like when he comes back for me? You know, we only get a glimpse of heaven in the book of Revelation. John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why, the first earth and the first heaven were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven and prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Wow. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle, that's Jesus, is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God, God himself shall be with them and be their God. But look, this is what it's going to look like. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eye. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, neither crying, nor there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, I make all things new. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. And buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified me. Freely forgiven. And one day, he's coming. Oh, glorious day. He's coming for you, friend. When we were children, we'd play hide and seek, right? One person would bow their head, maybe on the wall, or, and they'd start counting. A thousand one, a thousand two. A thousand three, and maybe they'd get to five or seven or ten. You never really knew how many they'd count until they got tired of counting. And when the time was right, they would turn and they would say these words, ready or not, here I come. We don't know if we're at a thousand one, a thousand two, or a thousand nine, getting ready to be a thousand ten. We don't know. But I'm thankful we don't have to fear, but rather we can celebrate. We've told you these last few weeks the story 
of Horatio and Anna Spafford about the tragedy of losing their children and losing their business and losing everything. And you might say, how could anybody possibly stay so strong even to pen these words, it is well with my soul. I discovered something this past week that I had never heard before. But man, what a way to end this series. When Horatio and Anna Spafford reunited in England, they spent a few days praying and thinking about how they would cope and how they would get through the rest of their lives. For life as they knew it was over. The hearts were broken. They were overwhelmed. And they decided that they would move to Jerusalem. In fact, that's where Horatio Spafford would spend the rest of his life. But they didn't just live anywhere in Jerusalem. They rented an apartment that overlooked Golgotha. In fact, I've got a picture of the very place. And every morning when they woke, that's what they saw. In the picture, you can see the place of the skull, and on top of that mound is the place where Jesus was crucified. If we could have spanned further to the left, you would see the place of the tomb, the empty tomb. For you see, everything about their lives revolved around the cross and the tomb. And in spite of all the things that they would go through, they would lose more children later in life and go through other tragedies. But they kept everything in the perspective of the cross of Jesus Christ and the fact that He defeated their sin and their grave. Friend, may I say to you, there's only one way to have spiritual wellness. And it's by keeping things in the proper perspective. God, no matter what happens today, you're on your throne. God, no matter what someone may try to take from me, The thing that really matters, no man can take from me. I am grateful for that today. Father, how precious the moment when everything will become sight. When those clouds are truly rolled back like a scroll. But God, we acknowledge now we are deep in the clouds of mystery. There's much that we do not understand, God. And we never will. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our faith and our trust in you. May we, like the Spaffords, keep our eyes fixed upon the cross where the Son of God demonstrated His great love for us. And may we keep our minds set on that empty tomb where for all eternity our sin debt was settled and our eternity became real. God, help us as we close in this time of invitation, meet every need and minister to every heart that we might be able to go home in a moment saying, it is well with my soul. In Jesus' name, amen.